This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. Distributed by Inside HPC. Big deals cascade in for Cray. And IBM commits $3 billion in chip research. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everybody. Thanks for dialing in to This Week in HPC. I'm Addison Snell, and that's Michael Feldman. We're with Intersect 360 Research. And, Michael, we had a, a fun week in uh, This Week in HPC. There were a couple of big stories that suddenly popped in. Yeah, we did. Usually, there's a little bit of a summer lull, but uh, not this week. Yeah, starting with, is Cray hot or what? They just landed one of the biggest deals in the company's history. Yeah, they definitely did. $174 million going for an NNSA supercomputer that's going to be installed sometime in 2015. $174 million definitely ranks up with one of the biggest deals Cray has done. That's the National Nuclear Security Administration, and this is a Cray, at least is based on Cray XC30. It might be a next-generation XC30, but this is the the Cray Cascade system that eventually came out of the HPCS money that they got uh, in the the DARPA program that lasted several years, really bringing a a new supercomputing platform to market. And uh, and here, the Cray is is coming into the money with it. This is going to be a pretty substantial system. Yeah, it is. It's, they're saying it's basically a little over eight times the application performance of their current system in there, and that's Cielo, which is like 1.37 petaflops peak. Um, they're talking about application performance, but you know, you, we do the math and just multiply by eight there, we're going to get about a 10 petaflop system, give or take whatever yep. the application performance turns out to be. I think that's a pretty good a pretty good estimate of what they're going to be, be building there next year. And not only the system itself, but there's a fairly substantial amount of storage in there. Yeah, it's a Crace Nexion storage system where they sold alongside this, and it's 82 petabytes, which is a very large uh, storage capacity uh, that... Uh, is based on, of course, the, the Zyrotex hardware, and they, they had their Cray Luster expertise on top of that. What struck me about it was not just the capacity there at 82 petabytes, but the fragment that they put out in the release, 1.7 terabytes per second of, uh, of the storage performance. That's a lot of storage bandwidth. Yeah, it is. That's, of course, the aggregate performance, but that is, and over t- 82 petabytes, it, it thins out, but that, that is a lot of performance there. Now, uh, they've announced that this is a 15-megawatt system. We're, we're just starting to get some of the details on it here. But the notable thing is this is, is really a, a couple of big wins in a row here. They got the Cori supercomputer from NERSC. Uh, and uh, you know, really, we've been predicting that with the IBM-Lenovo deal going on, that, uh, that it opened up opportunities for the major supercomputing providers that weren't IBM and that Cray might stand to benefit the most. Now, this is going in on top of a Sequoia system that's in there. Do you right. think that IBM might have been in the running with a with a different uh, next generation Blue Gene R Power 9 if such a thing existed? Yeah, they definitely would have been in the running. Who knows if they even bid on this? I mean, the Sequoia system you mentioned is a Blue Gene Q. That, that was installed not too long ago, 2012, so it's just a couple years old and it's still running. This isn't going to replace that, but uh, certainly if, if IBM had had built a follow-on system, you know there would have been competition for this. But right now, Cray's sort of rolling up the uh, the wins here because they're they're in a sort of unique position as 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 IBM sort of goes through this transition, and and some of the other big players we've seen don't really have 
you know, these sort of specialized supercomputer platforms anymore. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how this goes another generation out from here. In the near term, you know, Cray really is uh, reaping the benefits of this. Now, this is based on the Aries system interconnect, which is right. their their dragonfly topology. But remember, going back, it wasn't that long ago, we were talking about the fact that Cray has sold its interconnect hardware futures to Intel. So once you get out past Aries, Cray doesn't own that, uh, that interconnect uh, intellectual property anymore. And they haven't really defined what that's going to look like uh, after you get a generation past this. Right. I mean, presumably, you know, the next generation system might have some differences with that, and, and they have the capability to do that. But you're right. I mean, they don't own that technology anymore, so uh, they have sort of somewhat of a limited they, opportunity. They own it now. They, they own, own it now. now. But once you get out to, to uh, another generation past Aries, they won't. Right. Now, we should say this This is definitely, you know, they're partnering with Intel on this. They're going to be the future Intel Xeons, as well right. as the uh, future Intel uh, uh, Knight's Landing accelerators on this, just like the Cori system we mentioned. So, this is another all-Intel system, another big win for Intel as well. Right. The Intel Knight's Landing is a, is a major platform uh, in all of this, and that's another distinguishing factor from IBM, of course, which has moved out all of the Intel technology. Cray really strengthening its its partnership with Intel here, so maybe there's reason to believe that uh, that that remains to be a a tight cooperation moving forward as the interconnect continues to roll out. It's, there's actually related news from Intel with regards to their OmniScale announcements that kind of silently came out during ISC right. uh, regarding their interconnect futures there, and and that's a topic I'd like to maybe revisit on this week in HPC. We got so much news this week. That I don't want to divert all the way down OmniScale, but let's put a pin in that one, Michael, and get back to it because I think there's some interesting implications there. Yeah, exactly. I think you're absolutely right. Well, let's take a quick break then, and then we'll come back and we'll uh, hit our other major news story of the week, which is an R&D story coming out of IBM. This episode of This Week in HPC is brought to you by HPC 500, connecting HPC leaders. Join today at hpc500.com. All right, Michael, we're back in, and as we were just starting to talk about before the break, also this week in HPC, kind of a vision statement coming out of IBM, where they've earmarked $3 billion in R&D in their headline, talking about a post-silicon future, but really looking at a lot of out-there technologies in chip in the future of chip research from the company. Yeah, well, not, not just the vision of the future, but the, the money of the future, too. It's $3 billion <laughs> over over five years. It seems like uh, that, that's a nice investment. We don't know where that money actually came from. They have a pretty big R&D budget, as it is now. But, uh, yeah, they're investing in a variety of new technologies, all dealing with semiconductors or, or related devices. So, this is all going to sort of a, a certain area, and it's a lot of money. I mean, $3 billion is is quite a lot that will buy quite a lot of research there at IBM. It seems like the main headline that they're putting, the umbrella that they're putting everything under here is under the headline 
seven nanometer technology and beyond. Right. I think that's that's the big story here. I mean, people are looking to, to do basically two more shrinks. I mean, you're basically at 14 now. Um, IBM is, is a little above that, and they're going they're going down to seven, and then they're thinking about the technologies that go beyond seven nanometers, and that's where it gets a little tricky because the physics start to interfere with what you can do with CMOS technology. So now they're talking about you know graphene and and uh, the carbon nanotube technology, which which right now looks sort of the most promising to replace silicon as you go down to these smaller uh, geometries. Right. I mean, the fundamental physical limit that you come up against is that a silicon atom has a diameter. Right. <laughs> you know, you're not, you're not going to go down to diameters that are fractions of, of a single atom. And making a, a wire that's only one atom wide isn't that practical either. So you do reach physical limitations of what you can do with silicon. And, and the, IBM is saying that seven nanometers is getting pretty close to what the physical limit it is. Yeah, I mean they've got some technologies they're going to research in this in this package that are that might go beyond uh, the the seven nanometers. But I think they're they're putting a lot of their money into the into the carbon nanotubes and and the graphene technology, which uh, I think IBM and as well as a, a number of other companies are think maybe is the most promising uh, replacement for silicon. Well, here's why this is really important. I mean, over the last couple of weeks, as we went through the International Supercomputing Conference, and then we were just talking about it in the context of the Cray deal in the first half of our show this week, there's been a lot of scuttlebutt about what IBM's ongoing contribution is going to be in the HPC industry and, you know, without System X. And I, I personally think IBM is going to come back and be very much a part of this going forward, but they need to redefine what that architecture is, what that vision is. It seems like they're laying the groundwork here for, for a different kind of architectural future a few years out. Yeah, although, you know, we should say Intel is probably working on many similar technologies in this. I mean, IBM and Intel, as we've noted, are, are now much more head-to-head competitors uh, than they were in the past since basically... Uh, now they're entirely head-to-head competitors. Yeah, IBM is kind of the the dwindled how much they were partnering on anything until now it's pretty much down to zero. Right. And I think this is sort of a challenge out there to Intel. I mean, Intel's, of course, likes to tout their, uh, their semiconductor technology and, and the, the keeper of Moore's Law. But, I mean, IBM is a very big research and development organization. This is just a fraction of it. This $3 billion sounds like a lot of money, but that's over five years. Uh, IBM puts about $6 billion per year into R&D, and a lot of it is, is going to things like data analytics. This represents about 10% of their annual budget uh, for R&D. So, uh, yeah, they've, they've got a lot of leeway here to do a lot of good with, with just, just this amount of money. Yeah, still 10% of IBM's global R&D budget going into chip technologies is, is a significant investment. And they are talking about interesting technologies here, all as part of the release. They're talking about IBM researching quantum computing, which we've talked about on this show quite a lot in terms of... Uh, D-Wave and some of the other, uh, uh, well, D-Wave is the only product that's out there right, right. now, but the, the potential impact of quantum going forward, uh, neurosynaptic computing with uh, uh, some of the nanotechnologies that are out there. They're talking about carbon nanotubes. Silicon photonics caught my eye because that's a technology that we were also just talking about as part of HP's vision going forward. So, uh, interesting to see photonics on the IBM side now. 
Yeah, as, as it is on Intel. I, I think what's the most interesting thing to me here is as we as we approach sort of the seven nanometer uh, limit, if you will. I think the playing field is going to be leveled a little bit more than it is now with with Intel sort of in the lead on semiconductor technology. Once once you get down to this level, I mean, there's going to be a variety of technologies that are going to be used to to try and go beyond this, but it won't be the classic CMOS shrinkage technology that I that Intel has been so good at over the past few decades. I think it'll be it'll it'll shake up the uh, the industry a bit, and I think IBM is going to put a stake in the ground here. There was even an acronym on here that I had to look up myself, which was uh, MOSFET under their right. headline of 3V Technologies. I, I didn't know what this was. MOSFET was uh, metal oxide semiconductor field effect transistors. Are you good at what those are? <laughs> no, not really. I've heard of MOSFET before. Yeah, one of the semiconductor technologies that, that works into this. Yeah, this was uh, one of the things they're working on to maybe extend uh, beyond the seven nanometer with with more conventional technology uh, might buy them a little bit of time yeah there's 3v channel uh, technology they're working on so there, there's different ways to sort of attack this but eventually you sort of run out of nanometers <laughs> to, to yeah, extend. Right. You, you, that i understand and you, I, I just need to get a briefing on mosfet so i'm up to <laughs> speed i don't like it as an analyst when i come across an acronym i don't understand <laughs> Yeah, well, there's going to be a lot more acronyms. I think we're going to have to, to get a hold of like carbon nanotubes now CNT. I think we're going to have to rec uh, remember that one as well. I thought Luke Skywalker killed MOSFET. Yeah, I think that was a different MOSFET. Oh, different MOSFET. Maybe that was <laughs> the lesser known MOSFET or, or the more well known MOSFET, as it might be. Yeah. Anyway, the point is that, that IBM has a, a really strong commitment here. Now, you know, the other thing I noticed that I'll uh, just say quickly before. Before we wrapped up, they did not really highlight high-performance computing that much in this announcement. As you pointed out to me, they did mention supercomputing a couple of times, but there were a lot more headlines around things like big data in this. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's that's where and, and cloud. I mean, and, does everything have to be cloud and big data? Can't something be for high-performance computing anymore? <laughs> well, I mean, they see the biggest part of the market and the, the most enthusiasm in the market is going to sort of those two areas right now. So, I mean, obviously, all this technology will apply to, to high-performance computing infrastructure as well. But, uh, yeah, they're, they're sort of going where the money is. So, uh, this is high-end stuff, and it'll, it'll apply to a variety of, of solutions out there. We, we well, it's their own money, but I guess you yeah. do have to keep the shareholders happy with what your RFP is. <laughs> exactly. All right. Michael, thanks for getting me straight on some of these technologies. I appreciate it. It's been an exciting uh, news week here. Yeah, it has. Very good. Right. That'll wrap us up for this week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This has been This Week in HPC. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing, distributed by Inside HPC, news without noise for the high-performance computing professional. For more information, visit intersect360.com and insidehpc.com.